All right, praise the Lord. Let's go to Mark chapter 13. Mark 13 today. These thoughts are, are coming from quite a few scriptures. Don't know how many of them we'll turn to. We will make reference to many, many of them. And this is something that I believe a child of God would do well to review in their mind. Now, for many of you, it's probably just clear as can be. For me, it is in the sense that uh, when I think of what's going on around us, when I hear people ask questions about, say, the second coming of Christ, the catching away of the bride, the restoration of Israel, etc., etc., you know, pray for the peace of Israelite, uh, all these things I'm going to say come to mind because there is a, a reality that is only available to a child of God. Now, historically, historically it's only available to a believer that is someone who will believe the Scriptures the way they are written. And you'll see that as I go through it. Just one verse. <coughs> uh, let's, let's look at uh, 3 or 4, whatever. Start in Mark chapter 13, verse 5. Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Keep in mind that in the context, Christ is Messiah. Christ is the one. And so many have come and will come claiming to be the one. We know that other religions, Islamists and all that, have their own one. So he said in verse 7, And when you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled. For such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be earthquakes in diverse places. There shall be famines, troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. He goes on to warn them about councils and being persecuted. I want you to just think about that. That's as good a place as any to start what we're going to talk about. And I'm going to talk about the generic subject of trouble in the Middle East. But we're not going to talk about today's trouble. You know, November 2023, I'm not going to talk about today's trouble. However, I want to lay a foundation here. And this is not going to be new to many of you, but to some of you, this will be a little bit new, or it might be a review. But it's really important as a, as a believer to get back to the core of what this book teaches. Now, we're going to take a forest and not the trees approach. We're not going to try to pinpoint certain things or predict certain things. Because to get hold of this truth, it's a little bit controversial in this sense. People will try to take this truth and bring reproach upon God Almighty. And they will use it as, a, as a, an excuse, a reason, a rationalization to go against God Almighty. Now, have you ever thought about why do they call it the Middle East? If you look in the back of most of your Bibles, I really trust. Listen, I'm going to put this in here. I trust you've got a Bible printed on paper. You can use those other tools to look things up. You will never be able to study your Bible and learn your Bible electronically. You can't get four, five, six, eight uh, passages of Scripture and flip back and forth them at a time and make notes in the margins there the way you on on a, on a, any electronic advice the way you can your Bible. 
God intended us to be book people. But you look at a map, and so let's say you look at the forest view, that is from up above, and you look at what would be, say, the Middle East, Europe, the Far East, Africa, up towards Russia, okay? The reason it's called the Middle East is it's that's in relationship to the to the world at large. It wasn't called that in your Bible because we're going to look at the fact that God has always had some things, and one of the things he's always had is centers, S-E-N-T-E-R-S. And if you're obsessed with football, I'm not talking about the guy who snaps the football and delivers it. <laughs> there are three things you've heard me say for many years. There's, con- there's clear teachings, there's considerations, and there are conjectures. Okay? We're going to stick to the clear teaching. It's okay now and then to consider consideration, but it's, it should be very rare that you spend time on conjectures. Now, you're going to be more fascinated by conjectures than you will clear teachings for several reasons. One, have you noticed that they don't call it truth and fiction? They call it fiction and nonfiction. Ever since I can remember, the two classifications... Primary classifications in your in your library was fiction, non-fiction. Isn't that hilarious? It's almost like the truth is the non, and the fiction is the real. See? The fiction is the most prevalent, by the way. Fiction is the most popular, by the way. But we're going to look at this thing and get a forest view about the Middle East. A forest uh, up above, you know. Flying over, bird's eye view, we would call it. And there's three things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about God's centers, C-E-N-T-E-R-S. We're going to talk about God's covenants. I'm not going to pick them apart, go into depth, so this is not going to be lengthy. And then we're going to talk about God's chastening and chastisement. The first one is God's centers. Now, let us be very clear. We believe the Bible the way it's written. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. We're going to make it very clear that for the English-speaking people of this world, that authorized version is the standard. It is. As Doc would say, there might be some reliable translations, but there's only one you can absolutely trust. That's your English translation, King James Bible. So God can choose. He can make anything he wants and anyone he wants the center of something. So in the beginning, he said in Genesis 1-1, he made the heaven and the earth. We know from reading several passages in Job, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, as I said, this is a bird's eye view. We know from those passages, if we want to jot them down, that there was a host of heaven before mankind was made on the earth. We know that something had to have happened between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, it had to have. Because when it says that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, there's never any indication anywhere in all these thousands of verses where God made anything that way. That God created something without form and void. And that darkness would be on the face of it. So we know that something happened there. We know that Satan, who 
start off as Lucifer, seven letters, light bearer, anointed cherub. We know that he was before mankind. We know the host of heaven was before. So there was a time when God and his host were the center of things. And the universe, as only God knows how it was then. Then, something happened between 1-1 and 1-2. And then God made a new center. And he made it on the earth. I didn't say that the sun, (laughs) didn't say that the sun, S-O-N, is not the center. But if you noticed, he did all his creation from Genesis 1-3 on in relationship to the earth. He even made the sun and moon to rule the night and the day, but he did his he put the center of his history on the earth. He makes reference to things off of the earth throughout the next what is now six thousand years. That is from the time Adam left the garden. Now, look at Genesis three fifteen. I know many of you have it, but some of you this might be a, a new or a review to you. So God centers. So he makes the universe his center, so to speak, made the heaven and the earth. Something happens. We know that Lucifer was so much uh, of a uh, trusted ruler, you might say, a trusted steward, that he thought he could depose God. He was anointed. And then there was trouble and he got demoted. When you come to Genesis 3 and it calls him the serpent, that doesn't mean he looked like a serpent that t- at that point. Many times in your Bible, God gives you the name of something after the fact. Because there in Genesis 3, when he's made to go on his belly, he becomes a serpent. But God lets you know what he thinks of serpent and what, where the serpent came from by talking about him that way. We know by observing Matthew chapter 4, where the Lord Jesus Christ is tempted in the wilderness after 40 days and 40 nights of abstinence from food and abstinence from I don't know about sleep but he was really wore out okay food and water God takes that all around center and he puts it on the earth in Genesis 3:15 where he said and I will put enmity between thee and the woman between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head thou shalt bruise his heel before all this happened in Genesis chapter 2 God had made a wonderful center called the Garden of Eden. Now, there are some decent considerations on where that was at. You know, that area that was known as the Fertile Crescent and all that kind of thing. That's fine. You know life had to have started in a garden. You think about how how much mankind is attracted to uh, coolness and water and trees and fruit and flowers and, and the beauty of things, you know that. You know that how people are attracted to a moderate, continual climate. That was the garden. It was perfect. And then, of course, they took the one tree that could hurt them. That fruit is what killed them. God didn't kill them. That fruit killed them. And you know they died spiritually first because he said, in the day you eat, there you die. And they lived on physically. Their body did. But they became dead. We know that God then, he gave a sacrifice for them. Shed blood. Told them to shed blood. In Genesis 4, Cain and Abel come to meet God. Abel sheds blood. Cain sheds, thinks that his perspiration is going to pay for it. 
and uh, you, you can't get blood from a turnip, as we say here in North America. So God said, I'm going to center. My center is going to be the earth. You go walking through the book of Genesis, you get to Genesis 11, and the people there under Nimrod, a type of, of the Antichrist and the devil, Nimrod thinks he's going to make their tower and them the center of God's work. And God says, no, that's not going to happen. The next chapter, we find a, a character named Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, if you open your Bible to it, you'll see God starts dealing with Abraham. And he takes Abraham and he tells him to get out of thy country from thy kindred from the house unto a land that I will show thee. And he said, I will make of thee a great nation. That word nation there is not some geopolitical title. It's a people. That's why you call it nationality on your passport to this day. He said, I'll bless them that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee. He's not talking about a geopolitical. Now he took Abraham and he said, Now, Abraham, what I need you to do is you're going to do some, you're going to do some ground pounding. Uh, you're going to do some walking. <clears throat> and so what he told him was, he said, I'm going to give you the place where we're in your foot trots. So God starts taking Abraham and he's outlining a land, a piece of land that God's going to make the center of his Old Testament for his people. When Abraham goes along and he's doing it and then Isaac and Jacob, every time they tried to settle down, God said, no, we're not settling down and it would always stir up trouble. Dinah gets up in trouble and her brothers take vengeance they shouldn't take and and of course made you know Jacob to stink in everybody's eyes and off he moved. And then God sends a famine after they had sold Joseph into slavery and he sends him down to Egypt of all places. And God's working all these different things out. And then God call, gets them out of Egypt miraculously under Moses and they're still not where God wants them. He doesn't have, they're not in the center of where God wants them. Mark this down. God never told them that they could conquer any place they wanted to. He did, however, tell the rest of the world, called Gentiles, that they could conquer anywhere else they wanted to, except the place that God chose to make the center. You cannot get away from this. You must not. Listen. You must not take these promises, you know, I will bless them that bless thee, and think it's a geopolitical statement that if the government of the United States or government of your way of friends sides with Israel as a geopolitical, that, I, that makes everything right. It's, it's, that's not even on God's mind. And what I want to look at with you is this and walk you through is to help you get a picture of what's really happening, not just today, November 2023, but has been happening and will happen. If you listen to too much news, even so-called Christian news, you miss what's at the core of this whole thing. Now, what I'm telling you is not something uh, special to me or new or something. Uh, many a Bible believer knows this. Moses leads them out of Egypt, but God wants to take them to a land that he had promised to them, starting with Abraham. So it's called the promised land. Okay? While they're 
headed that way. He gives them a chance to get ready to go in, and they decline to go in and live in God's center for them. So now they're going to wander for 40 years till that generation dies off. In this case, God didn't choose to just, boom, kill them like he has in the past a couple times. People who got, you know, crossways with him. He gives them 40 years. 40's number of testing and probation in your Bible. No wonder they say to this day, you know, life begins at 40 and all that. So during that time, God tells Moses, I need a place, a center of worship. And he gives him all the design and all the instructions. And he gives him all the stuff that has to do with building a tabernacle. It's a tent, but it's quite elaborate tent. And the parts that make it up are many. And it was, it was just incredible. And so that was where God said, this is the center. Even so that he told them which, which people, which of the, the descendants, the tribes of the 12 sons, where they were supposed to be, north, south, east, and west, around the tabernacle when they camped because it was the center. They had feasts. He said, this is the center. They had high priests. They learned of the atonement, and they learned how it came about. And they learned what was, what was necessary for it. They go into the promised land under Joshua, and the center of it eventually becomes Jerusalem. After Joshua and the elders had outlived him, and you've got, you know, Eli's there, and then Samuel's there, and King Saul is there, and David is there. And you read of all that, 1 Samuel, you know, and all that, and 2 Samuel. Then comes Solomon, David's son, and God's going to give him peace. This is approximately 1,000 years before Christ. If you took a line and drew it and put like a half circle on the left sheet of your paper and said uh, everything to the left of that is eternity past plus the Garden of Eden, starting a line at the apex of that curve and coming across where they are put out of the garden from then to Christ is approximately 4,000 years. A thousand years is with the Lord as one day. One day is a thousand years. So the Old Testament represents four days. The church age represents two days. The seventh day will be that millennium. And then the eighth day is a new beginning, an octave, just like music. Now, when they are going through the Old Testament, center of it was the tabernacle. In 1000 BC, before Christ, they built the temple, and that became the center. Center of their feast, the center of the sacrifices, the center of, of what they were supposed to honor and where they're supposed to worship at. Now, when Christ comes, this is at a watershed point. <clears throat> Started that fifth day, just like the creation was in Genesis 1. The Lord Jesus Christ brings life. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ, He lived, became incarnate, lived, ministered, died, Buried, 
rose again, had taken our sins into hell, the sins of the world were paid. And so for us, the center wasn't necessarily Jerusalem anymore. It wasn't necessarily Bethlehem. It was a hill called Golgotha. And on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. You say, well, did they look forward in the Old Testament to the Lord Jesus Christ? Not as we look backward, no. You know they look forward. All you got to do is read your Bible. They look forward every time they gave a lamb offering. And there's no need to get into some kind of discussion here about looking to the cross or faith and works. That's up to you. But I want to back up a little bit now that you understand what God was doing. Okay? So when he came and he was crucified without the gates, outside the camp, <coughs> that cross became a center for us. It's the center of life. You say, well, it's the empty tomb. The empty tomb, yeah. But empty tomb is nothing without that cross. Because there he bore our sins. Okay? So why all the trouble that Israel itself is having as a people? Let's go back now. Now watch. So God took Abraham, gave him a promise. Abraham traveled, kind of basically God led him in such a way that he was outlining the land. He gave a promise to Abraham and then continued it with Isaac, continued with Jacob, and then the 12 sons. He got them down in Egypt, then he got them out of Egypt. Then Joshua led them into the promised land. When you get to the book of Joshua, what starts to happen is you have the enemies of God. Uh, one of the things it's called when they go in is the land of the Philistines. There is definitely a direct connection between this word Philistines and the word Palestinian or Palestine. Okay, But let, we don't want to get, I want to keep this force, this bird's eye view for this particular message. So the place that God gave them, which means it's on route to the fact where the Lord Jesus Christ will be crucified, uh, buried, rose again, walked the earth 40 days and ascended, will come back to those that area. That place started... With God saying, I want this particular place to belong to my people. The term Israel is the name of a man, not a geopolitical entity. Now it's used almost synonymously like a geopolitical thing, but the term Israel in your Bible has not, is not the same as United States of America or Germany or France or Russia or any of those places. It's the name of a man, Jacob. It means a prince with God. So it's about a, an actual people, but it's about a faith system also. Okay? So the thing that's important to grasp is that when they first went into the promised land, it was the land of the Philistines and of the Ites. I-T-E-E-S. <laughs> okay? And that's who lived there. 
When you think about what was happening as God was setting all this up, for example, Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. And you may get to these verses, or at least write them down. Okay, Genesis chapter 21, verse 32. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech rose up, and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, and they returned where? Into the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba, called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land many days. So during Abraham's life, Isaac's life, Jacob's life, this was considered the land of the Philistines. Okay? Why is that important? Because it's a, it's, God is going to give it to, which he has the right to, <coughs> he's going to give it to Jacob's descendants. But he's not going to give them anywhere else that he wants them to be. This is so important to get hold of. So is there an application for a Christian? Yes. I'll stop right here for a moment. I'll pause and tell you. Yes. There is an application for a child of God. It's not necessarily geographical, although many times God will direct you geographically. But I can guarantee you this, child of God. There are things that he doesn't want you being a part of. There are things in life he doesn't care and doesn't want you to try to conquer because they're outside of what your promised, experienced, victorious Christian life is. And he doesn't want you having two lives, and he doesn't want you living part of your life in his promised land and part of it out. God cares about what your center is. But for God to have rule over your center, your soul and your being, there will be warfare. It won't be physical warfare, but there will be warfare. It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea and the way of, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. So God says it's not time for you to go in and and get rid of the inhabitants of the land. But it's about to be time. Now the reason this is important, as far as I'm concerned, is now we see how God's going to do it. Right now, Christians are, are just ridiculously obsessed with the legalities, the moralities, etc. of fighting over this, as Doc said, this piece of dirt. Okay? In, Israel, in, in the Middle East. But the bigger picture is this. It should not surprise us as Christians. It should not surprise us that this is going on. You see, if God Almighty legislated, and He did, if God Almighty legislated that this is Israel, these people, the descendants of Jacob, not some geopolitical title. Are you getting this? These people is who I want here. The rest of y'all, you Philistines, you Amorites, you Amalekites, you can have the rest of the world get out. If, <coughs> excuse me, if God Almighty cannot decree that and it be followed, 
What makes you think United Nations and, and America and all these people, that they're going to do it? This is a God thing, and you cannot argue it with your neighbor, and you're not going to be able to debate it with 95% of all Christians. Because to get hold of this the way it ought to be is what we're doing here. We're Bible believers. Mark it down. Ready? Exodus 23. Exodus 23, 31 through 33. And I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea even unto the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. And we know the history, if you've read your Bible, and if not, you should read a little bit, that that is what happened. God made the decision. So God centered his people where there were already people. God told them, dwell there and do not roam the world. Now beware. God has centers. In the New Testament, God has centers. He does. That center is not your Bible college or even your Bible institute or your church, okay, although he uses people. But Antioch of Syria was one of his centers. He sent the word of God out through there. He sent the gospel out through there. And as you trace it across Europe, moving east to west, we know that in 1611, God centered the word of God in the, nat- the the worldwide trade language under those people in England in the English language. To this day, it's the one common language. It does not matter if there's more hundreds of millions of people who speak Chinese than anybody else. No one is going around trying to learn Chinese so they can communicate and do that with the rest of the world. It's the universal language. To this day, it will be till this particular church age ends. So beware, the Word of God has centers. The Word of God has centers when it comes to those who teach it. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Now, that doesn't mean they have a monopoly on truth, okay? That's God's center. Secondly, God's covenants. God's covenants. Now, we're not going to go through the covenants and the whole list. That is a study in itself, very much worth it, worthy of study. I, I beg you, don't get hung up on the trees when it comes to studying God's covenants. But from Adam onward, you find God making covenants. Some are absolute, some are conditional in his relationship with mankind. When Joshua's day comes, God said in Joshua 1, I have already given you the land. But they hadn't in that they had to go in. But he said, I've already given it to you. Okay? So that's the thing that's important. I've already given it to you. Now, look at Joshua chapter 13 for a minute. Understand this. In God's mind, those people were free to leave. They were free to leave and get out of the way. Okay? Understand that right now with all the governmental and legal and worldwide ruling parties of countries and stuff going on, that's between them and God to fight that out. But look at Genesis, uh, Joshua 13. 
Verse 1. Get over there to it. Now Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years. There remaineth yet very much land to be what? Possessed. It was promised to them. It was as good as done as far as God's concerned. In Joshua chapter 1, when he started all this, he said, I've given it to you already, but you've got to go get it. And then he says, verse 2, This is the land that yet remaineth all the borders of the Philistines and all Jeshuri, etc., etc. And he starts defining those borders. And he talks about, you know, the Ashdodites. And uh, he talks about the Gazathites and the Escalonites and all of those people, the Gittites, Ekronites, Avites. So God made a covenant, okay? The former inhabitants, they never give up. They don't give up. All through King Saul's day, 1 Samuel. All through David's day. First <coughs> Samuel 23, 27, God starts changing the kingdom by having the Philistines invade and defeat Saul and kill him and his sons. I mean, you watch David, he even hatches a plan to get out of the land and go down and hang out with the Philistines so Saul will leave him alone. And he does. Why? Because Saul had his own territory. The descendants of Jacob were told, don't roam the world. Now, this is really important, okay? The Jewish people are blessed of God. They are. They know how to make money. They know how to be creative. There are so many places where they've left their stamp. But you see, God's word will for them was not to roam the world. When they would go back on him, he would send them into captivity. He would literally let people take them out of their land into a foreign land, a land that was not theirs. He cared so little about things that he let them destroy what probably was the, the most magnificent magnificent edifice ever made, the temple of Solomon. He didn't care. He said, tear it down. I care about people. I care about their worship. I care about their souls. Uh, you say, application, brother. Okay, here it is. You just go ahead and leave God's center for your life. Now, it, wait. It will take some form of pressure off you if you do it. It will. But the cross is our center. And the covenant is Christ's covenant through the Father. Please don't disqualify the book of Hebrews as a New Testament church-age Christian. Hallelujah. That's where that thing takes both Testaments and puts them together for us, if you'll read it correctly, in the English. The cross is our landmark. Our, our bodies, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, we are the temple of the Holy Ghost now. Our bodies are the land. Our bodies are the possession. Our soul, our spirit, our heart, our mind, our being, okay? So God's covenant with Israel, His people, not a nation geopolitically, is He wants them in a certain place and He wants them to worship Him. They have been vagabonds ever since and wanderers ever since they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and bore witness as the Romans crucified him. 
You say, well, they, they couldn't have received. They could have received him. And then for sure the Roman government would have crucified him. For sure. You say, well, God's timetable. See, there you go. You're telling God how it had to happen. Instead of saying, Lord, you had that thing fixed. He had it fixed in every from every angle you can think of. Every angle. He didn't predestinate anyone to deny and reject God himself or his son. He did not. Two things about prophecy. God has foreknowledge. So he, he knew from be, the beginning. There was no beginning with him just for us. He knew from the beginning of history what was going to happen. He knew it. That's one form of prophecy. Another form of prophecy is when God decrees it, says it's going to happen. They're not always the same. And you and the easiest way to get messed up is to get them confused. So watch. God centers. That place was not supposed to be under the authority of all the nations around and say, we'll let you. They weren't ever going to let Israel take over. Now, I don't want to go too far into this because I'm not trying to build up, you know, needless controversy, so to speak. But just go and read what they had to do to take over that land when the inhabitants of the land would not move on. It was war. There was killing. It was warfare. People died. That's not a statement on what Israel as a geopolitical nation should do right now. It's not. And it's also not a statement on, on you going out and as a Christian saying, you know, this is what everybody, this is what they ought to do. They ought to, because it's too late for them to claim that land without God's help because they haven't turned to him. You want to pray for Israel? You want to pray for the peace of Israel? Pray that they will get the Prince of Peace, friend. That's not going to be something that they all get together and, and they vote in the government and then the prime minister will say, we are officially the people of God now. No, no. That's individuals worship him to the point that they become a group. Just like in the local, just like in, in the church age, a local church is a group of people who get band together locally. All right, quickly, John, God's chastenings and chastisements. You need to be real careful trying to explain this to anybody who's not a believer at all or someone who's just a nominal Christian. We're not happy that this is happening to God's people. We're not replacements of God's people. In fact, we're grafted into them, not replacing them in our own little separate tree as Gentiles. Romans 9, Romans 11. Write it down. But God chastens and chastises his people. Leviticus 26, 27. And if ye will not for all this hearken unto me. What? He's talking about breaking the staff of bread. He's talking about famine. Talking about sword. He said, if ye will not for all this hearken unto me, walk contrary unto me. He said, if you walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury. In fury. That's what, like someone, he was infuriated. In fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. 
Now, we don't glory over this. We're, we're, Paul wrote to those Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, said, you all are letting sin stay in the camp, so to speak, just because it makes you feel good about yourselves. You're like, oh, how terrible that's going on. So, no, we're not happy it's going on. We're not happy that they're cast off. And we did not, God, now get this, God did not cast off Israel so he could graft in us Gentiles. No, we just got in because of how it worked. He was going to let us have get in, but there was a casting away temporarily, Romans 9, Romans 11. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5. Thou shalt also consider in thy heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. You read those words down through there, and he t- he talks about that he led them in verse two. He led the I, the Lord thy God led thee these forty years to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart. So the Lord Jesus Christ, He took on Himself Isaiah fifty three. Go there. I know you're familiar with, but feast on it with your eyes for a minute. So the Lord Jesus Christ came. And he made our center for the church age the cross. Because that's why he came. So our center is the cross. Oswald Chambers says it so well. He said, <coughs> our motivation is not out in front of us. It is behind us. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where our forgiveness begins. Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded. For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. All the way down, look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. We need to pray for the souls. The Jewish souls over there. You can pray for the souls of those who are not even a part of the terrorism and violence and they just need the gospel pray for them but understand that what God's doing Hebrews chapter 12 write it down verses 5 through 11 Revelation 3 19 chastens 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 because of God's center for them and God's covenants with them is God's chastening and chastisement now I want to take a minute 
It's been a bit longer than we usually go today, but I just want you to look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Look in that spiritual mirror. Are you on center with God? Is God center for you where you are at? Or you are off center of what His center is for your life? His center for your life has nothing to do with how you make a living. That's not supposed to be your center. It's not your children. It's not your husband and your wife. It's not getting married. It's not getting education. It's, no, His center is supposed to be Him. Him. Where are you with God's center? Where are you with God's covenants? Are you keeping your part of God's covenants? So, well, I don't got to worry about it. He covenanted to take me to heaven. Yeah, but you better read the rest of your Bible. You better read about this thing called the judgment seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians 3, Romans 14, etc., 2 Corinthians 5. Just read it. Better read it. Why? Because God has a center. What's going on in the Middle East, has it goes way back. God said to his people, you go here, you can put them out. Now watch, this violence, the current violence, it's got all kind of different triggers. It's got all kind of different impetus, all kind of different sources. But it's not new. Because the world, get this please, the world, the people of the world at large, never wanted God's people, the descendants of Jacob, those 12 sons and their families and their bloodline never wanted them to have that piece of ground. When they, when those people, those Philistines, were allowed to have the entire world and God's people were not allowed to have the entire world. So you, child of God, God has a center for your life. God has a place for your life. It's, it is geographical, but it's more than that. It, the geographical just, he'll, he'll guide you geographically after, while you keep him at the center but you're going to have to drive out those Philistines. That's what the epistles are about. You know, mortify therefore the old man. Mortify certain deeds. Put on the garment after you put off the garment. That That's all about what they did when they went. Book of Joshua is awesome. Victorious Christian Living, little book by Alan Redpath. I recommend it if you can find it. But the point is, the big picture is God centers and then God's covenants, and then God's chastening and chastisements. A decree, even even bombing to dust a certain little piece of ground, is not going to stop the conflict for the people called God's people of Israel. A geopolitical ceasefire, blah, 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 or not fire, blah, is not going to solve it. Because God is going to take it whatever, and do whatever it takes to get them to him. And that's what so many of those prophecies are about. That's what so many of the trials and troubles are going to be. Now, praise the Lord. There's absolute truth evidence that we're going to be caught out. I, I wouldn't spend five seconds, never mind five minutes or five hours or five days, listening to these other guys. There's some fellows who were super sound. One of the fellows on my ordination committee, solid guy in the Bible, going to be with the Lord now. But between the time I got ordained and stuff, and then the years went by, 10, 15, 20 years, he got himself overstudying to the point where he got all confused about this thing of the timing of the catching away of God's people. Don't do that. But right now, would you look in the mirror? Lord, am I, have, I, have I got the center you want for me, Lord? 
Lord, am I participating in these covenants? And Lord, chasing is, is often training and bolding, but chastisement is also correction. Lord, which of this is happening? Are you training me? Listen, troubles and trials are often so you can understand others. Pain is often so you can understand others. But that sometimes it's because you've not put God's center as your center. Father, I pray you'd use these thoughts. I believe you're behind them. Absolutely do. Use them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.